Amen. Amen. John chapter 3, beginning at verse 16. John chapter 3, beginning at verse 16. We are in the midst of this chapter where Jesus is talking to the religious leader named Nicodemus and having a conversation with this man about spiritual things. And before we get into these verses tonight, let's be reminded that because Jesus proclaimed himself as the way, the truth, and the life, that this conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus is not a conversation that would have been easy for Nicodemus to hear. This is a man who was a good, moral, religious man. A man who was a Pharisee. A man who was the teacher in Israel. A man who was a member of the Sanhedrin. If anyone was in the kingdom of God, if anyone had good standing with God, it would have been this man. And from the very beginning of this conversation that Jesus is having with him, Jesus is telling him the truth, and the truth isn't easy for him to hear. Because Jesus is basically telling him, all that you have put your trust in, in a sense to have salvation, isn't what gains you salvation. It's a personal relationship with me that gains you salvation. So everything that you have looked at and where everything up to this point Nicodemus is wrong. And here's the right and only way to God. Now think about that. Because in our lives Jesus just like with Nicodemus loves us enough to tell us hard things. He loves us enough to tell us truth all the time. And obviously, God wants to encourage us and He wants to enlighten us. But there are going to be times where the truth of God hurts. And we have to be so committed to staying in fellowship with God that we will stay in fellowship with God at any cost, including the pain that you and I may have to go through in order to stay there. Because God not only wants to save us, God wants to change us. And that's what Jesus is going to talk to Nicodemus about tonight. Notice verse 16 of John chapter 3. Probably the most famous verse in the Bible. Jesus says to Nicodemus these words. For this is the way God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. Let's remember the context here as Jesus talks in verse 16. Jesus has just got done telling Nicodemus that just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And he's talking there about his crucifixion 
and people looking to him in faith as the way, the truth, and the life. And so Jesus here, beginning in verse 16, is saying this. He's saying, this is the way God shows us his love. By lifting up his son. Think about that. That's the way God shows love. By lifting up his son on a cross. If we ever doubt God's love for us, all we have to do is look at the cross and what Jesus did. It was the demonstration of God's love. And when Jesus tells Nicodemus, God loved That is a love of choice. In other words, Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, God doesn't love people necessarily because they're so lovable. He doesn't love people because they're so good. Because somehow, you know, no, he said, God loves because he chooses To love us. We must always remember that. See, that's why it's like, well, that's why God's love can be constant in our life. Unlike, say, with other folks who may love us, but it's not a love of choice. It's a love of convenience or something else. Or we even love others based upon what they do for us and all of that. But God always loves based on his choice to love us. And that will never change. That's why we should be encouraged when we read in the Word of God that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because if He chose to love us in the past, especially as the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, then God is going to continue to choose to love us now and forever. This love is also an unconditional love. It's not based on performance or on anything that we've done or not done. It is absolutely unconditional. In fact, this word that Jesus uses shows us that God loved us even before we were created because He already knew that we would be created. Just an amazing kind of love. And then Jesus says this. This would have blown Nicodemus' socks off. Jesus says, For God loved the world. See, to a first century Jew, they thought that their God loved them, the Jews, but didn't love the world. The world? You mean these awful Gentiles? These dogs? These people who don't have a covenant with you? You love them as much as you do us? You love the sinful inhabitants of the world who do not even know you or acknowledge you in any way? Yes. God loves the world. That's a pretty broad love. Everyone's included in that. There's no one outside of the world. You see. So no one is ever going to go into eternity saying, God didn't love me. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. 
God loved the world. And Jesus says, here's another way that you can see God's love. Not just in the fact that he chose to lift up his son on a cross. In that way, God loved the world. But also, even before that, God loved the world by giving his one and only son. By the way, the word give there in the Greek language speaks of having to give. In other words, don't miss what John is saying here and what Jesus ultimately is teaching. God's love is connected with His giving. So if God loves this way, then that means He had to give in this way. They're connected. And God wants us to understand that concept as well. In other words, if I truly love someone, giving will not be a question. The giving... The sacrificial giving of ourselves to someone is fueled by, first of all, our love. Either we love them, truly love them, or we don't. And again, it goes back to this is a love of choice. I choose to love them, therefore I choose to give. And again, notice that in God's giving, in this selfless, sacrificial giving and love, He gives His very best. Because He gave His one and only Son. He gave the very best that He had to us. And God wants us to always know that. I will give you my very best. No wonder then God calls His followers, will you reciprocate by giving me your all? Giving me your best? And boy, it is so convicting and so challenging and, and sobering to think that many times in our Christian life how we're not giving God at all our best. And yet, every day, God gives us His very best. And He has ever since He created us. God gives His very best to us. Because he has to. Because he loves that way. That's his nature. And Jesus says, God gave his one and only son so that everyone, there again, pretty broad, each and every individual, no one is left out. If someone wants to experience God's love and come into a relationship with God, anyone can. Now again, we've got to come God's way. There's only one way. But that way, even though it's exclusive, is very inclusive in the sense that it is open to every human being who's ever lived. No human being was excluded from this kind of love. And Jesus goes on to say, but it has to come back to belief. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. Belief 
is the key. To rest our full weight, if you will, on Jesus Christ. To trust in Him. To place our confidence in Him. That's how we pass from death to life. Through belief. It's not through being good enough. It's not through striving to, you know, just all of that. It's simple belief in Jesus. And it's always been that way. It's always been about trusting in what God has said is the way of salvation. And when a person, anyone, believes in Him, they will not perish. The word perish means to suffer loss or ruin. And it speaks about a failure to obtain what one expects or anticipates. In other words, what Jesus is teaching is this. There are people that will live their whole life that will expect and anticipate something totally different after they die than what they're going to get. Because they don't believe in Jesus. And therefore, the eternity or what awaits them on the other side of death is going to look really drastically different than what they expected or anticipated. And don't miss what Jesus here, in a way, is very powerfully yet subtly teaching. And that is, though mankind can deny that there is an eternity, the Bible clearly teaches that God has built within every human being He created the, the knowledge that they are eternal beings. And so the fact that even though they might deny that there's something after death, down deep, they really know there is. And so for a person to live as if there is no God all their earthly life, Jesus is saying, that means your eternity is going to be loss and ruin. More than you will ever know. But for the one who does believe in Him, then comes eternal life. Life without end. And again, this Greek word for life is not the word bios where we get just the physical existing of life. It's the word zoe, which talks about absolute fullness. A quality of life beyond our imagination. The kind of life Jesus said, I came to give abundant life to all who follow me. And that life can start right now. In fact, I don't want you to miss this. When Jesus says in verse 16, For this is the way God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. That word have is really important because it means to continually possess something. If people ask what's one of the reasons why I believe the Bible teaches eternal security is because when Jesus teaches a person has eternal life, it is a continual possession. It's not something you gain for a while and then lose. It is a continual possession. And that is very clear in the original language of this word. You don't have it and then not have it. That's not in the language. Once you have it, you have it. 
you say. Do you have it? And we've sung about the love of God. Let's experience that kind of love every day. Let's remind ourselves every day, this is how God has loved me. If I begin to doubt God's love, all I have to do is remember that His very Son was lifted up on a cross for me. All I have to do is remember that God sent His one and only Son to this earth. That Jesus, the Lord of glory, left the glory of heaven and the adoration of the angels and the worship of heavenly beings and came to earth because He loved me. And He had to do that because He loved me so much. That He could not live without us. That's the kind of love that drew Him from heaven to earth. And God gives us His very best. He didn't send a seraphim or a cherubim as magnificent as those creations of God are. He didn't send Gabriel or Michael or any of the angels. He sent His one and only Son. And remember and remind yourself every day that God's love for you is a love of choice. He chooses to love you. And He loves you every day. And He will continue to love you. And He will never love you any less than He always has. He can never love you any more than He always has. Because His love is constant. It is unconditional. And it should be the rock-solid foundation of our life. Because in verse 17, Jesus said, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. In other words, Jesus saying, My primary mission when I came the first time was not to pass judgment. That doesn't mean Jesus didn't judge. We saw Him kick some people out of the temple. But Jesus saying, my primary mission when I came was not to start passing judgment on people. And by the way, I want to point this out because this is, this is something we even as Christians need to hear. This word that Jesus uses, the word condemn in verse 7, in the Greek language means to be critical or to critique. And so think about what Jesus is saying especially to all of us who can be so critical of others and can critique others so easily and quickly. Jesus is saying, even as the perfect God, even as sinless God, when I came to earth, I could have looked around me every day and I could have critiqued that and I could have criticized that and I could have criticized that person and I could have been critical of that person because I'm holy, I'm perfect and everything around me I could have been critical of. But how many times did you see Jesus when He walked earth being critical of people? Criticizing them. And if anyone ever had a right to be critical and criticize others, it would have been the Son of God. And yet Jesus said, that's not what I was about. I'm not going to go around criticizing and being critical of others. 
Because my primary mission when God sent me into the world was not to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through Him. And let's remember the word saved means to be delivered or rescued from great peril. Today, many people today have lost even the whole concept of biblical salvation. They don't even understand, what's God saving me from? Because as Jesus is going to teach, we've lost contact and connection so much as a society, even in America and and around the world with, with biblical teaching, that we don't even understand why I need to be saved. I'm pretty good, right? Most human beings are pretty good at their core, right? And... What do I need to be saved from? We don't have any concept anymore about the penalty of our sin. When Paul says to the Romans, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we have so become a people that believe that the answer lies within us, that the power lies within us. And the word save talks about not only God being able to deliver us from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin. And instead of looking outside of ourselves to God to be the one who delivers and rescues, man is continually taught and encouraged to look within ourselves because it will be within ourselves that is the answer, the power, and the strength to overcome. And God is saying to man, there is nothing in you that can rescue and deliver yourself. Only I can be the answer. And that's what salvation is all about. And Jesus then says, the one who believes, who trusts in, who has confidence in Him, is not condemned. And by the way, that means not condemned then and not condemned ever. We are not subject to judgment. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, verse 1. If you as a Christian think somewhere along the line, God's going to judge me for my sin, then there's a misunderstanding of what salvation is all about. Because that's been taken care of. There will be a judgment one day called the Bema judgment that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. But that is a judgment of reward to reward us of the things that we've done in our body. But sin has already been judged on the cross when we believe in Jesus And He took our penalty for sin. And all of our sin, past, present, and future, was nailed to that cross and done away with. As Paul said, all that that written document against us has been wiped out by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Our sin has been cast into the depths of the sea. God remembers it no more. My friend, God doesn't hold our sin as believers against us anymore. But notice what Jesus now teaches. The one who does not believe has been condemned already. Whoa. (laughs) Whoa. See, it's not what a lot of people think that I live my life and again, God weighs my good works and my bad works once I die and my good works outweigh my bad works, then He'll let me into His kingdom. No. Jesus is teaching that because man is born into sin, that we, the moment we enter this earth as sinners from our mother's womb, we are already under the condemnation of God. It doesn't start at the judgment seat of Christ. It starts the moment we are born into this world. We are under God's condemnation. And what Jesus is teaching is, we already, as human beings apart from God, are experiencing the painful consequences of being apart from God until we are united with God again through Jesus Christ. You see, people don't get that today. Even Christians don't understand that people who are lost without Christ are already under God's condemnation, you see. In other words, they're judged as wrong right now. It's not like God saying, well, are they right or are they wrong? No, you see, from God's perspective, if I have Christ, we're right. Without Christ, wrong. And if they don't have Christ, then they are judged by God as, you're wrong. You need Christ. That's, that's, that's the answer. It's either we have Christ or we don't. And when a person doesn't have Christ, even though it might be painful them to hear, just like Nicodemus, Jesus is going to look Nicodemus right in the eye and say, Nicodemus, as good, as moral, as religious, as much of a Pharisee and teacher in Israel and member of the Sanhedrin that you are, you are under God's condemnation. And you are already experiencing the painful consequences of being separated from God. You're wrong, Nicodemus. Because you're trusting in your morality, in your self-righteousness, in your religiosity, in your spiritual position. And the only thing that saves a person is trust and belief in Jesus. So the one who does not believe has been condemned already because, and here's why, Jesus is going to give them the foundation of this, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. See, Jesus really is the divider. That's why people can talk about God and talk about religion, but bring up Jesus Christ And there's where the dividing line comes. Because either a person has Christ or they don't. Either they're 
never condemned because they have Christ or they're already under God's condemnation. God's already saying, you're wrong until you have Christ. You're on the wrong path. You need Christ. You see. And when, when Jesus talks about believing in the name, remember, anytime the, the name is referred to in the Bible, it's representative of all that He is. So in a sense, Jesus is saying, they do not believe in the totality of who I have claimed to be. And you can't just pick certain parts of Jesus you like and then get rid of other parts that you don't like. Which is one of the things of of why this passage tonight is so important. Because out of Jesus' own lips, He's giving us a balanced view of God. He starts out in verse 16 talking about a God of love. But then He starts talking about a God of judgment and condemnation. And you and I have to, have to, have to get so familiar with the Word of God that we maintain a balanced view of God. Because down through history, when we start drifting apart from the Word of God to keep our moorings about our our concept of God and keep Him in balance, we either go to one extreme or the other. We either end up that God is a God of love, and that's all He is to most people. And, and this God of love is never going to judge, never going to condemn. Everybody's going to go to heaven. And, and he just, it's just all about love. And then you have this extreme over here that their God is nothing but a God of judgment. Nothing but a God of condemnation. And there's absolutely no love, no compassion, no mercy, no forgiveness in that God and His concept. And Jesus here is trying to teach all of us that the God of the Bible is a God of both love and judgment. Because He's a holy God. He is a righteous God. And out of His holiness and righteousness, there flows an unbelievable love. But there will also be judgment. There has to be. Because that's the character of our God. And we must maintain that balanced view of God. And again, the only way even as Christians we do that is to saturate ourselves in the Word of God. Or else we're going to get off to one side of a concept with God or another side. And Jesus here, even in this passage, is teaching us both the love of God and the judgment of God all at the same time. Now, this is the basis, Jesus says, verse 19, for judging. This is why God has given such a decisive response. Because the light embodied in Him has come into the world and become known. In other words, it's it's not a matter, from God's perspective, that men never had proper light. That's... Never the question, see. And yet that's what most, you know, how, how's God reconcile with somebody who lives in that, you know, part of the world where there, you know, there's, I don't understand. See, God would say, no, they've been given light. They've been given light. Everybody's been given light. Because when we think of light, we think of externals. 
And God's Word clearly teaches that there is an internal witness between the Holy Spirit of God and every human being who's ever lived so that men are without excuse. This is the basis for God's judgment, that light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light. The word love means to embrace, to welcome, to be content with. Jesus says, here's the problem. Not that God's light didn't come into the world. Not that spiritual truth and knowledge and revelation come into the world, but that men in their sin embraced and welcomed and was content with darkness more than the light. That's the problem. By the way, I thought this was interesting. In verse 19 at the very end, Jesus says, they loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. The word deeds is an interesting word. It speaks about the energy that people put forth for something. And Jesus is saying, isn't it interesting that instead of putting their energy into growing in light and their relationship with God, they put their energy into something. But it was into evil. And this word for evil is an interesting word. It speaks of things that are worthless from God's perspective, of no lasting value. So in other words, in the scheme of things in eternity, the things that most people put their energy into, from God's perspective, is a waste of time. Because they don't have proper priority. They're not putting their energy into what really matters every day. They're putting their energy into worthless, of no lasting value things. But I also want to point this out. This Greek word, and this is a challenge to all of us as Christians. This Greek word for evil also means things that are easy. Easy. See, because Jesus, is, he taught the broad way that most people are on. That's the easy way. The narrow way, the way of discipleship, of following Jesus Christ. You know the word he used to describe that narrow way? Difficult. Hard is the way. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 7, Few... Find that way. Because we don't want to do anything hard or difficult. We want easy. And from God's perspective, we've got to remind ourselves as Christians many times that easy sometimes can also mean evil. Because God may be calling us to do something difficult and hard. And are we willing to do the hard, difficult thing that's good? Or are we always taking the easy road? So I thought that was enlightening. It was to me. I don't know about to you. So then he says, verse 20, For everyone who does evil deeds... Now listen, we all, even Christians... We all sin, right? 
The word does here means to continually practice, to make it the habit of our life. So Jesus here is differentiating. Yes, Christians sin. But he's talking about somebody here, their occupation, their, their norm, their practice, their habit is to do evil deeds. And notice what he says about these folks. They hate the light. They detest spiritual truth. They don't want to get near it. They run from the light. Like bugs run when the light of a room is turned on. They don't want to be found. Why? Because he says, they do not come to the light so that their deeds, again, what they're putting forth all this energy to, will not be exposed. The word exposed here means to find fault with. Conviction, correction. They don't want to be told even by God that they're wrong. And so they run from the light and they hate God's light and they will do everything they can to stop coming into the light of God. I want to stop here for a moment because I want to commend you all. Because you all, by being a part of a church like this, where we teach the Word of God, you are being confronted with God's light all the time. And that's not easy. Because the easy thing would be, I'm going to go to a church where I don't hear the truth very much so that I don't get convicted, so that I don't know, you know, maybe some things in my life that God isn't pleased with or that need correcting or whatever. I'm just going to pretend like everything's okay. And I'm going to be fat, dumb, and happy and just sort of sail through life. It is hard to be a Christian and be able to come into God's light every day and say, okay, holy God, shine your light on me and expose whatever is in my life that is not pleasing to you. That's not easy to do. And yet, and yet, it is absolutely necessary in order to be a growing, maturing disciple of Jesus Christ. And can I say, that's why even a lot of Christians don't want to be a part of a church where they hear truth like this. You know why? They stay away from churches where the truth is really taught because of the same reason Jesus said. They don't want to, they don't want to feel bad. They want to go to church and feel good and be entertained and get a ooey-gooey feeling and come out going, oh, I feel so good about myself, rather than coming into the light and having their life exposed for what it really is and having the Holy Spirit convict them because they don't understand that God only has their best interests at heart and the reason He's telling them these things is because He loves them and He wants them to experience abundant, full life. But the only way to do that is by dealing with the things that need to be dealt with rather than pretending or denying that they're even there. So that's why Jesus then ends this great passage with these very important words, especially for Christians. 
But the one who practices the truth, the one who applies and lives the truth and wants to live by the truth will come to the light. And the word come means to find the light and follow the light. Wherever the light is, a, a, a Christian who wants to practice truth, they will make sure that they get into the light of God on a regular basis. Here's why. So that it may be plainly evident that his deeds have been done in God. First of all, I want to say that what Jesus is talking about there is confidence. And can I say, I think that's why a lot of Christians today lack confidence in their Christian life. Because they're not plainly evident. They're not sure that their deeds are done in God. Because they're not coming into the light enough to be able to differentiate. Is this God's deed? This is my deed. Because what Jesus here is teaching is very important. When he talks about deeds done in God, he's talking about two things. He's talking about the fact that the deeds, the things that I'm doing, are things that God has called me and committed to me and entrusted me to do. Not what I think I should be doing, going back to Sunday's message. Serving God is not doing what I want, when I want, where I want. Serving God is coming before God and saying, God, here I am. What do you want? And when deeds are done in God, that means I'm doing what God wants. And there's something empowering about that. See, that, that, that's where God says, if you just follow me, it actually is better because if I know that I'm doing what God wants, then it doesn't matter what's standing in my way, what giant like Goliath is in my path. If, if David walked out on that battlefield knowing that he was doing a deed done in God, that's why he didn't fear Goliath. Because he knew what he was doing was what God called him to do. And that, in a sense, takes all the pressure off. Because then we know that the Bible teaches, well, the battle's the Lord. If this is something God has called me to, if this is something God has entrusted to me, then He's going to be there. He'll fight my battles for me. That's a deed done in God. And a deed done in God is also when God is enabling me and empowering me to do it. Where I'm not doing it in my own power and strength, but where I'm doing it in the power and strength that God supplies. That's a deed done in God. And Jesus says, the one who continually applies the truth of God to their life and lives out the truth of God will get to a point where the deeds that they do in this life will be plainly evident to themselves even. Not just to others, but to themselves. That what they are doing is what God wants them to do. Not what others want them to do. Not what they want to do, but what God wants them to do. And they'll be doing it in the power that God gives them to do it. And this is why, folks, it's so important that even as Christians, we are willing to come into the light. Again, it's uncomfortable. I get it. That's why I want to commend you all. Because it's hard. 
Because it'd be easier either to stay home or go to a church where you don't hear the Word of God on a regular basis and don't read His Word and don't study His Word and don't get into it because this is light. And, And as the writer of Hebrews says... This book is so living and powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword and it gets down there into the inner being of of ourselves and it can cut sometimes and it convicts and it corrects and, and it's not easy. But we're better off for it. We're better off for it. It's just like physically, we... We could have something wrong on our insides and we could just deny that it's there. I don't really feel bad. I don't have that pain. And we could walk around in pain all the time. And all it would take is being willing to go under the knife of a surgeon and have them take care of whatever. And I realize that's painful to go through surgery. I get it. Even the laparoscopic surgery is painful. I remember when I had my gallbladder out years ago, they were like, well, Jeff, this is, you know, it's not like when they opened you all back up. So I was thinking, oh, this is a piece of cake. I came out of there going, oh, my golly. I mean, yeah, I'm sure compared to the knife, it wasn't as bad, but it's not like it wasn't painful. Surgery's painful. I, I don't care what they do. But I felt so much better after I was willing to go through that pain of surgery. Because it corrected what needed to be corrected and it got rid of the pain. And all Jesus is saying to human beings is, I know you're in pain. But the way you're trying to get rid of that pain will never work. The only way you're going to permanently get rid of the pain is to come to me and let my word do a surgery in you. Then, you'll experience the abundant life that God has for you. This is the love that God has for us. And this is the balanced view of God that Jesus wanted to bring to men. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your love. But Lord, we also thank You for Your truth. And yes, your truth, it can hurt. It can convict. Because sometimes it's just like we're wrong. And we need to be told we're wrong. So that we can correct some things and live to experience the life that You want us to live. But God, we confess, it's hard to admit we're wrong. We're a prideful humanity. And Lord, it seems like in the world in which we live, we've even gotten to a place where nobody ever wants to admit that they're wrong. It's always somebody else's fault. It's always somebody else's responsibility. It's always easier to blame and point the fingers at others rather than taking responsibility ourselves. But God, that's not what You teach. That's not what Your truth says. And Lord, if we would just trust You, 
and believe that your truth is so liberating that it sets people free. God, help us to follow your truth no matter what. Help us to be willing to continue to come into the light and call others into your light as well. Because, Lord, it is only in the brilliance and splendor of your light that we will experience true life. Thank you, Lord, for these promises. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, we'll see you Sunday. Thanks for being here.